Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 5. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this evening. So blessed by those that continue to attend on Monday nights, continue to come faithfully. Faithfulness builds the kingdom, amen? Got a couple guys on the worship team that play week in and week out, and I've mentioned this before, but they've literally been playing every Monday night for like 19, 20 years. So uh, when you think about that and then serving in the youth department prior to that, that's commitment. That's why things like this still exist, right? And so we need to rise up and be pillars in whatever area the Lord has called us to serve in and to continue to give our lives and fight against weariness and struggle and all those things and the temptation that would come and the battle to take us out. How many know what I'm talking about? The battle to take us out, but we fight against those things and we just keep pressing forward for king and kingdom. Amen? Matthew 5, verse 6 reads, Blessed or blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is a great promise in Scripture, a promise that we can grab hold of. Now, there is no doubt that hunger and thirst attract God. God is looking for a hungry people. He's looking for a thirsty people. When he sees a hungry people, and when he sees a thirsty people, when he literally hears their hunger, hears their thirst, when he feels their hunger and feels their thirst. Now in this verse, there are key words. Hunger, that is, to crave ardently, to seek with eager desire. We know that blesses the heart of God. When his people come in with that kind of hunger. Thirst. Those who are said to thirst, who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. This blesses God's heart when his people come in with this condition. When his people live with this condition, perpetually hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Filled that is to feed with herbs, grass, hay, to fill, satisfy with food, to fatten, to fill or satisfy men, to fulfill or satisfy the desire of anyone, supply food in abundance. And the Lord has promised in his word, his word is truth and he's promised, not one promise falls to the ground. His promise is, he's declared it, that those who hunger and thirst will be filled. And so we can grab hold of this if we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are guaranteed the filling of God. We are guaranteed that he pours out into us and fills us. James 4.8 reads, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hungry, thirsty, pressing in. Day in and day out, this hunger and thirst and understanding that we must do our part, that we have to rise and we need to draw near to God, that he draws near to us. We wake in the morning and what do we do? We draw near to God before we draw near to other things. We draw near to God because we need him to draw near to us. Now we know we got God living inside of us. We have the spirit, but you understand what I'm talking about tonight. Drawing near to God, getting into his presence that he would draw near to us. I have four children. And if my children are ever hungry or thirsty, I will find them food and drink. 
I will do my best to find them food and drink. If I see their hunger, if I hear their hunger, and yes, I hear their hunger, if I feel their hunger, even if I had to tap sap out of a tree to get them food, I would. If your child was desperate, if your child was hungry, if your child was thirsty, and we can all relate to this, not just those that have kids. This is, I believe, the picture. God is saying, if you will hunger and thirst, you will be filled. If I can see your hunger, if I can feel your hunger, if I can even taste your hunger, if I can smell your hunger, if I can just feel that desire, that great longing inside of you, you will be filled. I will come and meet with you. However, if my children are not hungry or thirsty, I'll set food in front of them once in a while at regular meal times. And now the truth is, we understand that in the natural, we cannot continue to eat and drink without end. But in our relationship with the Lord, this is the way it is to be. In our relationship with God, we are continually feeding on the goodness of the Lord. We're continually going after righteousness, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. When children get out and exert energy, they work up an appetite. And my, how they work up a thirst. When workers get out and work, when they labor, they work up an appetite. And my, how they thirst. I remember working construction, shovel gravel for eight, nine hours a day. You work up a hunger. (laughs) You work up a thirst. I remember sitting on a jackhammer for nine hours a day. That was fun, too in a confined area, you work up a hunger and you work up a thirst. When you labor, when athletes get out and train and contend, they work up a hunger and thirst. True? Any athletes in the house? When a pilgrim journeys traveling across this desert world, they work up a hunger and thirst. I want to read Psalm 63 verses 1 to 8 out of the message I just love because it uses particular words. It reads, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in this place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I'm really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection. Because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. We have to work up a hunger and thirst. If we have no hunger and thirst... I would ask tonight, are we exerting energy? If we have no hunger and thirst, are we laboring? If we have no hunger and thirst, are we training and contending as the Bible has called us to? If we have no hunger and thirst, are we journeying with God? Are we traveling through this world with Jesus? 
There are two more key words in the text. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. After righteousness. In a broad sense, state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness. The condition acceptable to God. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved of God. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. The key is hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Ezra 9, verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. And so I believe what the Lord is saying to us tonight is that hunger and thirst after righteousness is hunger and thirst after God. He is righteousness. His ways are righteousness. All that he has for us is righteousness. All the good things that we would hunger after and and thirst after. We know the word says, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all these things shall be added. We love the Lord with all that we are. And so we do hunger and thirst that we might be filled with righteousness, that we might be filled with him. Lord, come and fill me. The bread and the water, come and fill us, Lord. Our childlike manner in the kingdom, if we have a childlike manner in the kingdom, is constantly working up a hunger and thirst. If we have a worker's manner in the kingdom, Our worker's manner in the kingdom is constantly, constantly feeling a hunger and thirst for God. If we have an athlete manner in the kingdom, the athlete manner is constantly generating a hunger and thirst for God. We know that we're running a race, do we not? If we have an athlete manner, if we're training, we could say tonight if we have a soldier manner, like the Lord has called us to, A good soldier of Jesus Christ, constantly working up a hunger and a thirst. A pilgrim manner in the kingdom, hunger and thirst. Again, our text, the message, God, you're my God, I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. And because I've worked up such a hunger and thirst, because we've worked up such a hunger and thirst, Here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I'm really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime ribbon gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. You see, the reality is this. Something happens in the life of the individual when there is hunger and thirst for God. Things change. Priorities change. Scheduling changes when you're hungry and thirsty for God. You make time for the right things. Why? Because you're hungry and thirsty for God. Even in the text here it says, because I've worked up such a hunger and thirst, here I am in the place of worship. 
When you're really hungry and thirsty, you don't miss church. Now, I know there are circumstances, and this isn't just me saying this to fill a seat. This has nothing to do with it. There is an anointing in the corporate gathering of the house, and we receive. We receive from brothers and sisters, not just from the platform. That's not what this is about. We are the body. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we're all feeding each other, and we're bringing drink to one another as we work as the body, as we function as the body. You can be that cool cup of water to somebody on a Sunday that they so desperately need. Bring them the bread of life. Bring them the word a word that they so desperately need that they might not have got if you didn't show up to church. Something happens in a marriage when there's hunger and thirst for God. Something happens in a family, in a home when there is hunger and thirst for God. Something happens in a church when there is hunger and thirst for God. Something happens in a city. Something happens in a nation when there is hunger and thirst for God. The Lord, righteousness, begins to fill us and satisfy our world with herbs, grass, hay, food. Fulfills us and satisfies us. This is the abundant supply of God. This will be no surprise to anybody here tonight. The devil hates hunger and thirst for God. The devil hates hunger and thirst for the presence of the Lord. The devil hates hunger and thirst for the word. The devil hates hunger and thirst for righteousness. The devil hates hunger and thirst for godly associations, for godly relationships. The devil hates hunger and thirst for faithfulness, for covenant. We could go down the list tonight. So many things that I know the Spirit will speak to your heart concerning whatever area it might be. The devil hates hunger and thirst for God. I said, I believe last night, that's why he goes after the prayer meeting, doesn't he? That's why he goes after the worship service. That's why he goes after church. That's why he goes after, you know, the people in the church, because he doesn't want the hunger and the thirst for God. See, the reality is, the enemy wants us to get hungry and thirsty for things other than righteousness, things other than God. And he works relentlessly in getting us to hunger and thirst after other things. He'll even use blessing in our life if he can to get us in hunger and thirst after other things. How many know that's true? To satisfy the child we are with other things. To satisfy the worker we are with other things. To satisfy the athlete we are with other things. The pilgrim we are with other things. I want to share words from David Wilkerson. If you hunger and thirst for the fullness of Christ, Satan will declare outright war on you. When he sees evidence that your commitment is real, your diligence in prayer, your denial of self, he will use every weapon in hell to try and destroy. Now what he says next is very interesting. He will use every weapon in hell to try and destroy your testimony. Why? Because your testimony is God's answer to apostasy and ruin. This is what the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel is all about. 
Satan devised an elaborate plan to destroy the only testimony of God's power left in Babylon. It culminated in a white-hot oven meant to kill all living proof of God's gospel truth. See Daniel 3. Three godly young Israelites served in high government offices in Babylon, men who were visible testimonies of the gospel they preached. They had separated themselves from the sensuous lifestyle of Babylon, committing their lives instead to prayer. These three men were not prophets or priests, but laymen who remained faithful to God and were pure in heart in the midst of the adulterous masses. Of course, this stirred Satan's rage, and he entered the heart of Babylon's evil king. The king erected a huge golden statue and declared, declared it the official national god, an object to be worshipped. Then he summoned all officials and servants from every nation under Babylon's thumb so that he could introduce the new religion. When the ceremonial music began, isn't that interesting? Everyone was to bow to this new god. Satan also prompted the king to erect a huge brick furnace and stoke it so the white-hot flames were visible to everyone. Why did Satan do this? Surely he knew there wasn't a governor, judge, or sheriff anywhere in Babylon who would resist the new decree. They did not need to be seduced or threatened. In fact, they all must have been dumbfounded, wondering, hey, who wants to rock the boat? We're doing just fine. We have prosperity, food and drink, the good life, and this new religion is easy on the soul. Who would want to give all this up? So, what was the fiery furnace all about? It was totally the work of Satan, a manipulation rigged by him to destroy the three young men. He wanted to kill off the only remaining testimony of God in Babylon. The three young men answered the king's command, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Daniel 3.17 Satan declares outright war on our commitment when he sees evidence that it is real. When he sees evidence that it is real, outright war. He will go after us. He will go after relationships. He'll try and infiltrate the mind. He'll try and get to the heart. He'll try and get us swayed, caught up with other things. He'll try and strip us from holiness. He'll try and break faithfulness and commitment in our life. He'll try and rip covenant out of us. He'll bring excuses that we can use. When he sees that our commitment is real, when he sees that our hunger and thirst for God is real, when he sees that it looks like it can't be broken, that we have this relentless nature concerning our commitment to God, when he sees that, he goes after us. Outright war. Outright war. Why? Why does he go after us? Well, as David Wilkerson said, because our testimony is God's answer to apostasy and ruin. You say, so God uses my hunger and thirst? And the loud answer is yes. 
We know full well that the enemy would love to destroy all testimony of God's power left in Babylon. He would love to destroy all true witness. He would love to destroy all true testimony of God's power in Edmonton. He would love to destroy it. We know full well that the enemy would love to kill all living proof of gospel truth. New religion, water it down. No Christ and no cross, just convenience. We know full well the enemy wants to get rid of visible testimonies of the gospel. He hates when people separate themselves from the sensuous lifestyle of Babylon. Isn't that true? When you decide to separate yourself, when you instead turn to prayer, when you instead turn to righteousness, you begin to hunger and thirst after the right things and not the wrong things, the things of God and not the things of the world. When he knows that he no longer has your attention or your heartstrings, he declares outright war on you. When he sees a family swayed or when he sees a generation swayed, when he sees a group of friends swayed, but yet there be one in the group that's still hungry and thirsty for God, he goes after that one because he just wants to cut them off. The enemy has his new religion, but our answer will be the answer of the three young men. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Listen, God uses hunger and thirst to open the eyes of others. You say, is that really true? It's absolutely true. God uses hunger and thirst to open the eyes of others. He uses hunger and thirst to attract others. He uses hunger and thirst to rally others. He uses hunger and thirst to thwart the plan of the enemy. God uses hunger and thirst to secure future generations. Do you know that? He uses your hunger and thirst to secure the next generation. I look on Sundays, we got little ones up here too, dancing and praising the Lord. Listen, our hunger and thirst is contagious. Our hunger and thirst is securing hope and life for the next generation, that they don't get all messed up with some kind of gospel that is not the gospel at all, that we don't leave them with the church that is not the church that we don't leave them with some kind of Christian manual that is not the Bible, that we don't leave them with an idea of holiness that is not holiness, that is not purity and righteousness. Our hunger and thirst sets it up so that they too will hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. You've got to develop the right attitude in your kids and the right appetite in your kids. The right appetite in the next generation. The right appetite. You know, I've shared this before, and it's just silly, but anybody here like peanut butter? All right. Growing up, we always had that processed stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Tastes great. You get a taste for it. And I remember one day, my mom changed it, and she bought all natural. Anybody know what that's like? It's kind of a nuisance. You got to actually, here's, here's a tip for you. If you want all the oil to go through, just turn it upside down. It'll actually seep through. It's a lot easier. But if you open it right away, that oil's on top. You know, you just stir it, and it's all over the counter. It's just really, really annoying. But anyways, the first time I got fed that peanut butter, I was like, this is absolutely horrible. This is the worst thing. Where's the other peanut butter? And she's like, well, we're finishing the jar, right? 
So maybe that wasn't your experience, but for me it was, because you're used to a different taste. You're used to something sweeter, because if you actually read, like there's sugar in it and all this other crazy stuff, it's not natural. They put stuff in there, probably to get you addicted to something that's not good for you. But anyways, you're eating this new peanut butter, and i got to tell you, after a while, you just begin to eat it, and you begin to eat it, and you develop, you develop a taste for it. And then I remember going and trying the other stuff. It, was, it doesn't matter where it is where it was, you know, the little packets, you know what I'm talking about? You peel it off, it's probably at a hotel or something like that, and you put it on. I could not even eat it. I couldn't believe how horrible it tasted because I've now had my appetite reworked for what is right. And you see, that's how it is in the kingdom of God. We need a reworked appetite. We need reworked taste so that we actually hunger and thirst for righteousness, not the things of the world. Because we're prone to this. When we come out of the world, what are we used to? All the food of Egypt. And then God tries to feed us something different, and we're like, it doesn't taste that good. It's pretty bland. But you start feeding on that. You start feeding on it. You start feeding it, and pretty soon the other food, you'll pass. You'll pass. God uses hunger and thirst to instill strength and courage in others. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to us tonight, men and women will gain strength and courage as a result of the answer we give. Eyes will be opened. A rallying will take place because of our refusal to bow, because of our hunger and thirst for the fullness of Christ. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Nehemiah 9, 15, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. And the verse continues, and told them to go in to possess that which you had sworn to give them. The bread of life is Christ. The rock that gives water is Christ. The bread of life is righteousness. The water of life is righteousness. We feed on God, we feed on Jesus, we feed on the Word, we feed on all these things. As we travel this life, as we work, as we play, as we labor, as we train, as we contend, we're working up a hunger and a thirst. And let it be a hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God. Don't let the child in you run to any other source. Don't let the worker in you run to any other source. Don't let the athlete in you run to any other source. Don't let the pilgrim in you run to any other source. The enemy is after the resolve of God's people. We can have the worship team return tonight. He wants us to hunger and thirst after other things. Isn't that true? But I want to remind us, of a verse that I've already quoted tonight. It's a very familiar verse. And it's the truth of God. It's what the Bible says. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. See, the enemy wants us to start seeking all the other things. <laughs> 
get focused on all the other things. The message reads, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. The Passion Translation, so above all, I love this. Can we catch this tonight? Constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom. Constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from Him. Then all these less important things, they're important, but they're less important. Nobody's saying they're not important. They're important, but they're less important. All these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Do we have the kind of hunger and thirst that can be seen, heard, and felt? Is it the kind of hunger and thirst that would get you up and have you supply food and drink for your child? Have we bought into a new religion that's easy on the soul? The Lord is calling us today. He's calling us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Lord is saying to those that have not bowed today, keep hungry and thirsty for the fullness of Christ. He will be your abundant supply, and he will use your hunger and thirst to awaken a deceived world. Can we receive that tonight? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, sometimes you just need to tell yourself that, don't you? Sometimes you just need to speak it over yourself. Blessed are those. Because we face pressure, we face trial, we face the onslaught of the enemy, but we just got to rise up and say, Lord... I'm trusting your word. Your word says, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Lord, I'm blessed if I hunger and thirst after righteousness. And your promises, you said it, Lord. It's okay to put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. We're told to. We're called to. We come humbly, but we also come boldly and say, Lord, this is your word. This is your word. This is your word. And you catch a revelation of that in a small way when you're a parent. You say something. Son, tomorrow we'll stop at Dairy Queen. And you're in that car and they're like, Dad, Dairy Queen. Like, how did you even remember? That was just to get you to be quiet in the car yesterday. And they're saying, Dairy Queen. You're driving. Like, are they going to forget about it? You turn the music up. You're doing other things trying to Dairy Queen. You're like, okay. Why? Are you sure you You said, Dad, you promised. You promised. You told me. You told me. So when God tells us, when God tells us, when God tells us, we can trust his word. I believe we need to have like a revival of trusting God. Trusting God's word, relying on God's word, coming to him, putting in him in remembrance of his word. You know that we're so sure of his word. That's his heart. And again, you know as a parent or as a good friend when you say to your friend, trust me, you want people to trust you, don't you? God wants us to trust him. And so when he says things like this, let's take him at his word. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Amen. Let's stand tonight. We're going to sing this song. Would you just close yourself in with the Lord tonight? Just close yourself in as we sing this closing song tonight. Just begin to hunger and thirst in his presence.
However you need to respond in this moment, in these closing moments, we're just going to sing the song from front to back, and then we'll pray and be dismissed. If you need to bow before the Lord, kneel before the Lord, position yourself, however, raise your hands, lift your voice. If you don't even feel like singing the words on the screen, that's all right. Just begin to pour out your own heart. Just begin to declare the goodness of the Lord. Amen.